Hello and welcome to Creative Lives, the Lecture in Progress podcast. Lecture in Progress is an online resource that inspires and informs the next generation of talent by providing practical advice and insight into the creative industry. This podcast series features a broad range of people talking about what they do and how they got to where they are. Our guest this week is Kate Opperman. My name is Kate Opperman, and I'm a photographer based in New York. A graduate of Pratt Institute's photography course in Brooklyn, Kate's work has taken her all over the world. I found that I really love assignments. I sort of have described them as almost like a puzzle to solve, because I think when there's one parameter given to me, I feel more creative because I feel like it's a challenge to work within a subject or an assignment. Kate's photographs, rich with colour and intrigue, showcase a range of subjects, including sports stars, athletes, and strange subcultures. At the beginning, I was shooting a lot of portraits. And then I got this sort of wonderful streak of working on things that were very dynamic, like the Westminster Dog Show, which was so much fun and so weird. And then things like, I went to the Pebble Beach Golf Course in California, which is really, really famous. It's really bougie. Rich people golf there. And they had this show. It was the show for the most expensive cars in the world. And it was just completely bizarre, like great people watching the strangest scenarios. And I would get stuff like that because I think that people found that I worked well with these sort of varied subjects that were kind of strange and sort of calling attention to the strange subcultures. So we're shooting that that kind of stuff for a while. These days, she counts the likes of Nike, Wired and Time magazine as clients. My favorite project of the last year and a half, I would say, is when Wired magazine in the U.S. asked me to photograph the process of Nike's Breaking Two project, where Nike was trying to break the two-hour marathon. And they put forth some of the best scientists in the world who also work in sports physiology and physics. And they were working on trying to find a way through clothing and shoes and the right temperature and the right humidity for someone to possibly break a two-hour marathon, which had never been done before. So for that project, I went to Nike headquarters in Portland, in Beaverton, Oregon. And that was the beginning of the project in late 2016. And I photographed the athletes as they were sort of being tested in all these different conditions. So they were testing in a chamber for you know measuring humidity and their ability to continue to run in a certain environment. And like, what were the ideal conditions for that? As well as te- testing their blood and their oxygen levels and testing all these new prototypes of shoes. And then a few months later, I actually went to Kenya to photograph them in their camp as they trained. The last part of the project was shooting the actual race itself in Milan. They chose this Formula One track outside of Milan in a place called Monza because it's pretty flat. It's roughly 50 degrees Fahrenheit between 5 and 8 a.m. It was the ideal condition. So he, he missed it by 24 seconds, which in their minds, he, he made it. No one has ever run a marathon that fast. So that was an incredible project because not only was it something that was exciting for me to shoot, like I said, I love shooting sports. I think it's really fun and dynamic and I'm so interested in athletes and how their body is their work. But also it, it led to me working directly with Nike. So this was an editorial project that, that led to 
a lot of great commercial work with Nike. So uh, last summer, I was shooting uh, some Nike running stuff in New York. And then eventually this past February, it led to me going back to Kenya, this time for Nike, to shoot the clothing, the apparel, and the footwear that would essentially go to market and eventually lead to Elliot Kipchoge winning the London Marathon. But on top of this, Kate also avidly pursues a healthy roster of personal work. Especially having gone to art school, it's been really important to me over the years to continue to make personal work. I mean, I came to photography because I love photography. So my personal work, as of recent in the last few years, has been pretty centered around sport. When the U.S. women's national team, soccer team, football team, um, won the World Cup in 2015, I noticed that no one cared. Not only because America doesn't really care about soccer, but because they really didn't care about women's soccer. So I started a personal project following players around, and that project got a bit of attention. And then I started getting hired commercially for sports-related projects. So it's kind of been an evolution. What I learned about shooting that soccer project was that I think if you have something that you're interested in shooting, it's really important to not wait around for that thing to come to you. What I noticed in my personal work as I shot it over the years is that the things I was interested in shooting were the things that I think you could tell I was interested in shooting because there was more enthusiasm in the work. I think it's more apparent as well as just the variety of what you might see in a particular subject, trying to find ways to shoot it in all types of sort of different angles, both figuratively and literally. And then eventually, the more you shoot something, the more people are going to associate you with that particular subject. And it worked magically for me. I think working in sports has been interesting to me because I grew up playing sports. And I sort of missed that as an adult. There's really not a ton of opportunities if you're not pursuing a sports in a professional setting. There's there's very few opportunities, surprisingly, as you get older to, to be involved in something like that. So I think that approaching that genre, I had a bit of an advantage in terms of knowing about athletes and knowing about what's important to athletes. And not that there's a certain way to talk to an athlete, but I think that authenticity is really important. That's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. It's so important to talk with your subjects, even before the camera comes out, and really get a sense of what they do, how they like to work, not just how you like to work, but how they like to work. Create an open dialogue, encourage honesty. Because I noticed that, you know, there are certain sports that I don't know a ton about, but I'm asking someone to run through something, and if it's not real then everyone's going to know. Like everyone who, who plays that sport, even if they don't, if it doesn't look right, it doesn't look right. Having spent birthdays alone on the road, Kate has learned to battle loneliness while traveling. Being on the road all the time, it does get very lonely, especially if I'm working on a personal project. I've spent a couple of birthdays alone on the road working on personal projects, but there is something really important about being really responsible with your time, getting enough sleep, um, getting enough to eat, 
drinking enough water. These are all really basic things, but I wasn't good at that in the beginning. I didn't know how to manage my time. I didn't know how to take care of myself on the road. I was sort of cutting corners and saving, you know, $3 here, $5 there, but then sort of putting myself in a position where I wasn't performing at the right level. Just taking care of myself physically and staying healthy is something that's really important on the road and that I've taken really seriously as I've gotten older. Initially enrolling at Pratt to study graphic design, Kate made the difficult decision to take a year out, during which she realized photography was the correct calling for her. I thought I was interested in graphic design. Turns out I wasn't at all. So I actually took a year off. It was a very uncertain time for me. I was also interested in film because I had a background in video editing, but it just didn't feel right. So I took a year off. I worked as a video editor professionally and really sort of got my head right and In that year, I found that the thing that I got most excited about was photography. So I actually didn't even start there, but it became very clear to me that the only thing that excited me that much was photography. So I went back and it was an incredible experience. You know, I look back at that decision at the time, I felt like a failure. I really felt awful about leaving school. I felt like I had just really messed it all up. But I'm so, so happy that I did that because it it allowed me to take some time to reorient myself. I mean, being 18 is not an ideal time to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. So it's almost like I gave myself a sort of forced gap year, which Americans do not do. It's really sort of looked down upon. It shouldn't be, but it is. And it really made me very, very, very sure of myself and what I wanted to do. Recounting her initial years starting out, Kate shares how she reached out to industry by sending out photographic postcards to magazines. So Pratt didn't really prepare us for postgraduate life. So I was observing a, a lot of photographers whose, whose work I liked and I was seeing that they were getting editorial work. So when I first got out of school, I chose some photographs that I thought would really lend themselves to magazine work. I designed some postcards where it sort of had all my information on the back and a photo on the front, and I just started mailing them to magazines. I would go to bookstores and look at mastheads for hours and take pictures with my phone very discreetly. And I would find the addresses. I would basically figure out anybody who worked at a place I wanted to shoot for, they got a postcard in the mail. And miraculously, some people started calling me and emailing me back, which was completely shocking to me. It was no one. I was just a a student right out of school, but that worked. So that started happening and I would get one assignment and then another assignment and then another assignment, but I never stopped sending those postcards out made a goal of sending out, I think, four rounds a year, basically quarterly, because there are so many people in the world trying to do what I do. And it's just simply hard for people to keep track of everybody. So I made it a point to just constantly remind people that I'm here. But also, uh, maybe if I'm not sending out postcards, I love to send little notes in the mail. It's so nice to get a handwritten note in the mail thanking someone for their time or their attention. So I did that, but I also 
a couple of years into shooting editorial work, I met with somebody who's a really smart, smart photo editor. And she was looking through my book and she was asking me about certain photos. And I would say, oh, that's, that's this, but I actually don't really like shooting that kind of thing. Or I like this more than that. And she was looking at the things that I didn't enjoy shooting. And she was like, why is this in your book if you don't like shooting it? And that was a revelation. It seems so like common sense, but it was such a revelation to me because that work also was not as strong as the work that I had a lot of fun doing. So as soon as I started taking that work out, the assignments that I got were much more tailored to me and they felt exciting to me. Then my career really started taking off because people could see that's my style. That's how I shoot things. That's what I like to shoot. And that's what I'm good at. One of the jobs that felt like a game changer to me was the job, very simple job actually for Bloomberg Business Week. They've always kind of been known for doing very odd, odd art direction and fun art direction for things that are actually kind of boring. This photo editor who I now have a great friendship with, she hired me to shoot this young uh, millennial Republican guy who was, you know, whose politics are just completely awful and horrible, but she asked me to shoot him outside of Fox, basically, in in New York, in Midtown. And I was supposed to shoot him sort of getting ready for this TV appearance, and that fell through, and suddenly I didn't have anywhere to go. And so I saw down the street that there was a Hilton hotel. And so I walked down the street, went into the hotel like I was staying there, and then looked around for places in the hotel to shoot. And I found this strange conference room with bizarre carpet. And it was like sort of tacky. And that was sort of like the the angle of the shoot was just like very, very weird. So I went back to him when I met him when he got out and we walked over to the hotel and I was like, just pretend that you're staying here. Let's go up to the conference room. And we went up and we did whatever we wanted. No one kicked us out. We just sort of looked like we knew what we were doing. From that day when I learned that if you do something with confidence, people really believe you and trust you. So not only did my subject trust me, but no one bothered us. It looked like we belonged there. None of the hotel staff thought that there was anything odd about it. And I've really tried to live that way, at least in how I work. If you need to get something done, you do whatever it takes ethically to get it done. And that job, I she loved it. She also loved the fact that uh, I took the initiative to do that. And she said that from then on, she trusted me with tougher assignments because she knew that I would figure out a way to get it done. I think there are a lot of challenges, particularly in freelance, and that just doesn't apply to photographers, but anybody working in freelance, when people uh, forget to pay you, don't pay you, that's really tough. And there's really no one way to navigate that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of moving parts to any situation um, where you don't get paid. What I can say is that there are certain tricks that I've used, and this is like very silly, but there was a situation about a year and a half ago where I hadn't been paid for, I think, six months or something like that. It was It was maybe six or eight months. And this was you know, sort of frustrating me, obviously. So 
what I did is, you know, I wasn't trying to burn any bridges. That's the other thing is like, you know, even if you don't care to shoot for a publication anymore, you don't know where that person will end up. They could end up at your favorite magazine and you want them to hire you eventually. So um, I just very politely said, hi, um, I've been checking in on this invoice and it's now been seven months. So I'm just going to have to send a late fee for every extra week from now on. It's going to be a, a 25% late fee. Miraculously, that scared people because I, my email was very matter of fact. I just said, well, this is it. This is, this is how it works. I'm going to have to send you an invoice for a late fee. That was the first time I did that. And the amazing thing is that that invoice was paid immediately and the late fee was paid immediately. I was not expecting that the late fee would get paid at all, but it's just sort of this idea of approaching something with confidence that that's actually worked for me a couple of times since then. And I've been, I can't say that it works all the time, but I think it's really just that idea of people don't want to look silly. They don't want to look like they're the one who doesn't know what's up. So naturally they'll think, oh, wow, I didn't realize that we're going to have to pay a late fee. Let's, let's file this now. It just sort of gives a little bit more urgency. And also, you know, um, they just believed me when I said it. So it worked out. Finally, Kate gives her advice for emerging creatives to remain open and humble as their careers develop. I think one of the most important things to keep in mind as a career develops is just continuing, it's so basic, but just continuing to be kind to people. I think that a lot of times what I have noticed is that people get a lot of work, they're getting very confident, and then maybe people start to get a little bit entitled. And that's really unfortunate because it is actually the greatest thing in the entire world that we get to do what we do as photographers for a job. I mean, the fact that some that I get to take pictures and people pay me and that's what I want to do in life, that's incredible. So the idea that people could let that sort of get to their head and start treating people without respect is kind of mind-boggling to me. And I've also learned from working with clients, whether that be magazines or art directors, commercial clients, that just being flexible and being respectful and being easy to get along with, not being a diva, that really, really helps. That was something, the relationships that I have built with photo editors have become good friendships because, you know, both parties are actively working hard to make something good. So I think when you're a, a decent person and you treat people with respect, whether that's the assistant all the way up to the art director, all the way up to the person maybe driving a van, that is really important. And there's really something to be said for just simply being a nice person. My advice to an emerging photographer, someone who's really trying to start a career in photography would be to make yourself available to the people who you need to be available to. I'm actually pretty introverted. So I don't really like going to sort of functions of whatever kind, but I have found that it is very helpful because so much of working as a 
photographer or, or really even just a freelancer in general is people just need to know that you're pretty cool to hang out with, that you're not you know, going to say offensive things on set or you're not incredibly rude. There were many people who I had been sending these postcards to over the course of a couple of years. And then we're at one of these things and someone says, oh, do you know Kate? And the person says, oh my God, wow, I've been getting your postcards for years. It's so nice to meet you. And then you get into a conversation and then they know you as a person. They've put a name to the face, a face to the name. And just generally that person in, in the moment can see, oh, I could actually see myself working with that person. So that kind of stuff is really important. Again, it's so important to just remind people that you exist, Put you know, get yourself out there in terms of like, uh, you know, sending people, whether it's sending people postcards or just making yourself available to the world. The, no one's going to come to you if you don't make yourself known. It is so much about really making an effort to be, to be available for people. And I try to, to always do that, even when it's, you know, it's a winter night and it's snowing outside. It's probably best for me to go to this thing rather than, than stay home. This episode of Creative Lives was brought to you by Lecture in Progress. It was presented by me, Marianne Hanoon, and the guest was Kate Opperman. The editor was Ivor Manley. Lecture in Progress is made possible with the support of a number of brand patrons. They include us two, GF Smith, and the Paul Smith Foundation. For more information, check out lectureinprogress.com.